Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, good morning, Raw Feeders. I'm Didi Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, it is Wednesday. That means it's Dr. Judy Jasek Day. Dr. Jasek heading to Tennessee. Yeah. Heading to Tennessee. Very exciting times for you. You know, what's so amazing is like you made this decision. Well, what what I know about you is this, is that you take action. <laughs> you don't just sit around and, you know, go, oh, I really would like to, but I can't. I mean, when you decide to do something, you do it, <laughs> whether that's yeah. opening a clinic in your house or moving to Tennessee. So why, yeah, I, why you, you know, well, I, first, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I think I just, I, I kind of trust, trust my gut, you know, like I'll get an inkling, like, you know, something really, really feels right. Like really, like, you know, I mean, you just, if you pay attention, you really know when something feels right in your gut. And I've always rolled with that because I can't not, if I, it's like, if I don't follow that, if I don't follow my instincts, even though intellectually I could say, wow, like this is a long ways away and we don't really know the culture and yada, yada, yada. There could be lots of reasons not to do it, but deep inside, you know, like I'm sleeping at night because I know somehow this is, this is right. This just feels authentic. And there can be, you know, repercussions. It's a lot of work, you know, it's going to be a big change, but I don't know. Like just when I know something feels right, I, I just roll with it. And I've, I've never regretted that. I've never regretted living my life that way. So I guess that's what I'll keep doing. Well, and, and, and I think the other thing too, is you don't, you don't worry about if you if you take a wrong step, you're like, well, I'll correct it and I'll learn from it and I'll go another direction. You know, there's a lot, a lot of people that don't want to make a decision, don't want to take a different path because they might be wrong or whatever that means. <laughs> well, right. you know, so yeah. you have to be we, comfortable with doing that. Yeah, we well, can always, you can always change gears, you know, like the worst thing for me is like feeling trapped, like feeling you're in a situation that you, you don't have an out. Like when I own my uh, clinic, Bellevue Animal Clinic in Inglewood, and I decided I wanted to sell it. I was burned out. I was tired of running a business and it took me three years to sell it. And that was probably the worst three years of my life. I mean, I couldn't sleep. I was just I stomach aches driving to work because I, I have an out. Like I wanted to change directions and I couldn't, well, I got the clinic sold. And then part of the reason I couldn't sell it was because I'd started doing all this holistic medicine and nobody wanted to buy that kind of a practice. And, you know, like that's, that's the worst, you know, worst thing that can happen. This it's like, well, you know, something, this doesn't work out. This doesn't work out. We got to change this change gears. Yeah. You can, you can do that. You just got to learn to be flexible and not be, you know, locked in hundred percent to to plan. 
Well, and the thing about it is um, you're still going to be doing telemedicine. So for those of you that are listening, you are still going to be able to work with Dr. Judy Jason, because that's not going away. We're still going to do the podcast unless, unless you decide that you're going to till the land, you're going to drive yeah. a tractor, you're going to be wearing a big wide hat and you're going to be making your own food out there. Cause that's what, one of the reasons that you're going is because you want to follow uh, and you do follow Joe Saladin's um, work where they actually raise, get this, raise animals without antibiotics, without pesticides uh, in order uh, yeah. for the food chain. So yeah, I mean, not even, not even dewormers, like nothing, no, no chemicals. And that's one of the reasons, one of our motivations actually for moving to this part of the country because we want to follow his model and you just can't really do it very well in Colorado. We just don't get enough rain. He does. He raises everything on pasture and you have to irrigate so much out here that that's not always the best thing for, for the animals. Like you can't have chickens out there standing in water. They don't evidently don't like to get their feet wet very much. Um, <laughs> I'm learning. So, um, so because we wanted to model his, because this is, I mean, you know, this is a holistic life, right? It's what I believe in, in my practice and for treating pets. And this is living that way, like, like optimally, because they're like, use no drugs. Not, I mean, he has thousands of animals and he doesn't even use a dewormer, which is just amazing to me that he's got this management that his animals are super healthy and they have no parasites. And he's in Virginia. So, you know, there's plenty of bugs and parasites and everything out there. And he has none of that on his farm. And that's just amazing. And it's like, well, if we're going to do this sort of thing, that's, that's the way I want to do it. Like, I don't, you know, I also don't believe in doing things halfway. You know, if you're, if you're going to live, because you got to decide what your truth is. And, and for me, if I don't, you know, not only speak my truth, but you got to live it, you got to walk the walk. And that's what I think part of why this feels so authentic, because that's what we're doing. Right. And this type of control group, okay, so um, animals that aren't being vaccinated, animals that aren't being dewormed, pastures that don't use pesticides, that sort of thing, that's a control group that we can actually look at and say, well, why aren't they dying? <laughs> why, you know, why, why, why is that working? Because we've been told that doesn't work. Everybody else is doing it another way. And this doesn't work. And oh my gosh. And the, I love it because we're getting more and more of these control groups in people and in pets. But you know what comes before all of that? Courage. The courage, and we've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times, certainly with uh, Peggy Hall, the healthy American. Courage, which is what you're demonstrating, Dr. Jasek, you know, it comes before um, you actually take action. It, you have to have courage to take action, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, abs ab absolutely. You know, and, and, and you just, you know, they give to be strong. That courage comes from just being strong in your convictions. You know, you, you don't just take the easy way out or you don't do just what's popular. I know I've listened to Joel Salatin. He has just been hammered by his neighbors and by the government for how he practices, but he's, he's never backed down because he's believed in what he's doing and he keeps coming through. And now his business is just growing by leaps and bounds. He says he has so many people, he says in the summertime now, because he has his open door policy where anybody can visit his farm any time of the day or night. And 
he said in the summer, he says they just have a steady stream of people now. It's just constant because so many people are interested. I, I was listening to a podcast. He says, I have billionaires calling me, like wanting to learn more about this because they see like what's going on in the world. And, you know, like he says, I have very wealthy people now calling me up just saying, well, how, how, how do I do this? You know, so now it's come full circle and it's, it's, you know, the word is spreading and he's, he calls it a tsunami. He says there's just a tsunami of homesteading now because people are waking up to this way of life. It's a healthier way of life. We know where our food is coming from, but he started with nothing. I mean, even his land was not, you know, his family moved here from Venezuela and um, they were very poor. They left the country because of political unrest and they didn't have any money. So they just had, they bought this like just really beat up kind of good for nothing piece of land and they've rehabilitated it over the years. And so it has not been easy, but he, to me is like the epitome of you stick by your beliefs and you, 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 you know, live, you know, in a way that you believe in and you, you know, you walk your walk, you know, and, um, and he's done that. And I just, I, I, I just admire, you know, what, what he has done so much to me, that's just the epitome of really, really sticking to your guns and having, like you said, a lot of courage. Well, and, you know, when we look at what's happening in the world, you and I were talking, um, and we always talk about cancer. And you have a phrase that you call turbo cancer. And you're like, this turbo cancer is happening in people and pets. Now, mm-hmm. one thing that we see over and over and over again is when you put pharmaceuticals in the body, i.e. Um, pesticides, vaccines, that sort of thing, then we see a lot of these dogs um, on the same path, the same cancer path. And we see mm-hmm. it younger and younger and younger. And and you have to say, which I, I think that the question uh, doesn't get asked, what's causing this, right? Is it just, it's not in the air. And so we have to say, what is the common denominator? What is happening in people and pets that is causing this turbo cancer? Something is going on. What would, so. Again, let's remind our listeners, Dr. Jasek, what is cancer and how does it uh, manifest in a pet's body? How does it start? Why would it start? Well, cancer is basically where cells become abnormal or atypical. Now, the, the you know, popular narrative in more conventional medical circles is, well, is just genetic, just bad luck. Yeah. Sorry. You know, like they talk about the, the gene for like breast cancer in women and women find out they have this gene so they go get a mastectomy so that they don't get breast cancer. So that's kind of what's being promoted. But I think fundamentally it's toxicity. It's like, it's a survival mechanism for the cells that the body becomes toxic because of things in our environment. And then if you, on top of things that we're exposed to in our environment that maybe we can't control, you know, air pollution and chemtrails, um, you know, things in the food supply. And then you compound that with vaccines and other pharmaceuticals and the body is literally struggling for survival. And I think it's a combination of the body trying to like for tumors wall off some toxins 
And then I think for this, some of the cells, it's like, it's a, it's a survival mechanism. It's like they're a Hail Mary pass. They can't survive all these toxins. So they turned in, into this abnormal, you know, cell that has no control. The reason cancers can grow so fast is like cells, cells have a normal um, programmed like death cycle called apoptosis, where the cells, they live a certain amount of time and then they die off and then they, you know, regenerate new cells, like in your liver, kidneys, you know, healthy, normal cells. Well, cancer cells get around that whole process and can just grow rampantly. So there's no, no controls over them in the body, no natural controls. And I think that it's, but I think it is more of a survival mechanism for the cells. Um, And then you know, once it takes hold, it's a matter of, well, can we support the body enough to get on top of that process? And like I was saying before, it, it's getting harder and harder. And I'm seeing younger and younger dogs and so much lymphoma. I, I think probably two out of three new cancer patients I see now are lymphoma in very bizarre forms. I mean, presentations I've just never seen before, and it just runs rampant in the body. So if you know, you want to keep your pet healthy, you, you got to be doing all the stuff we talk about. And it's even more important now than ever, because, you know, there things are, sh- things are shifting. I mean, there's definitely a big shift and these conditions are getting way more serious and way more aggressive. Well, and, you know, I, I was asking you at dinner the other night, what, what if ever, or when, if ever, do the pharmaceutical companies come to the veterinary uh, profession and say, hey, we've changed the ingredients. We, we've totally changed the ingredients in this and this and this and this. Uh, we've added this uh, and we thought you should know. Do they ever do that? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a it's like a big it's like a big secret. No, they don't let you know. Well, and so my question is, is there something else? because? Gosh knows they love to add stuff. You know, let's it, it, they love to add stuff uh so that they can make money, right? If you look at I was listening to Robert Kennedy Jr. He was saying, you know, we used to have three uh vaccines and now there are 72 vaccines going in to the kiddos from birth to graduating from high school, right? 72. Yeah. Isn't that just crazy? Do we know what's in all 72 and how they interact and what the long-term effects are? Right. Yeah. And I think that's, I think what's going, what's going into vaccines. I do think that's a big part of why we're seeing so much more disease in pets because nobody's regulating that. And there's been all these ads that have come out in the last six months or so where they're, they're saying, Oh, the brand new vaccines, MRNA vaccines. You have no idea what they're putting in these products and they are not the same as they used to be. And so many people still just get these routinely. And like you said, they don't tell you that they're changing things, but I do believe that. And, you know, what's in the food supply? What are they putting in? I mean, we've known for a long time that commercial pet foods like kibble diets are horrible. They're horrible nutrition. I just think they're becoming more toxic. What are they putting? They're saying that they're, you know, putting mRNA vaccines into livestock now. Well, what effect is that going to have if it's, if it's in the meat, you know? So I think, I think things are just getting way more toxic and, you know, rules or no rules. If you want your pet to be healthy, you got to start pushing back on the stuff. Well, and I think that you've got to 
put your focus where it needs to be. Meaning this. So a lot of times I'm going to have people contact me because their dogs are itchy. They're not getting well. Um, and, you know, the question is in, and this question ticks a lot of pet parents off. But they will come to us and say, well, I think that my dog has leaky gut or I think that my dog has this or this. And the question is, you know, what are you feeding? Well, I was feeding this other raw brand. Now I'm starting to feed yours. Um, and if they're pure raw brands, I mean, your dog should not be reacting to those. But the next question is always, what pesticides, what vaccines are you putting in the dog? And invariably, it is my dogs are totally up to date on all of those. And yes, we're doing this, you know, um, antibiotic and we're doing this tick, and we're doing this heartworm. It, and our response is always, I don't know that it's leaky gut, but if it is leaky gut, you know, probably coming from that. But the first thing that we need to do is detox, get away from all of the pesticides. I mean, you can't keep putting pesticides and poisons in the body and then expect your dog's skin to be healthy. <laughs> right? How does, that, how does that work? Right. Absolutely. I tell you one thing I'm, you know, so looking forward to getting out of my little subdivision is, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm whenever I'm outside, you know, you, you can just smell all the chemicals and you just see people walking around with their, cause you know, heaven forbid, you got a weed, you know, you know, pop up in a crack in your driveway and couldn't bend over and pull it out. No, you got to get the roundup out and, and you can just smell it. You can just smell it in, you know, in the neighborhood and it's just disgusting. And, and I see how many people walking their dogs, you know, constantly in our neighborhood, you know, most everybody here has dogs and they're all being exposed to that. Those are our next cancer patients. You know, I, I, I know it. And, and who knows what's in that stuff? Who knows what's in, you know, we know that glyphosate is a main component around it, but it's not the only thing in there. So what else are they putting in there that, that you know, they're not telling us, you know, nobody's looking. It's like, oh, we just go to Home Depot and buy the Roundup and that'll kill my weeds. Sure. And it's killing you and your kids and your pets right along with it. And the butterflies and all the other things that we need yeah. in the world. You know, it's, um, I think the world has, has gone crazy, but I tell you what has gone crazy is inflammation in dogs, right? And as we talk about inflammation is that precursor. Now, I mean, obviously the inflammation is a part of a healthy dog, right? Because, um, I was looking at Dr. Uh, uh, Blassing, uh, let me see if I say his name right, Bassingweight, Dr. Edward Bassingweight. <laughs> you know who he is? He's like- <laughs> I, uh, I don't know who he is. He's, he's out in Australia and um, he talks about inflammation. He says, yeah, there's, there's some healthy inflammation in your dog. So, you know, it's um, when, let's say, the, they-, they um, there's an affected tissue, right? There's affected tissue mm -hmm. in the body. So the walls of the blood vessels uh, become permeable. And this allows fluid and cells from the bloodstream to move into the area. And they actively migrate into the area. And these are the white blood cells which help attack any disease and heal the body. So sometimes, you know, people will go in to their vet uh, and they'll have a blood test and they'll see that the, that the white cells are up. Well, if the white cells are up, they're doing their job, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, there's different types of 
uh, white blood cells. And what they do is they engulf bacteria or viruses and they trigger the production of antibodies. And so, you know, there can be heat in that area, reddening, swelling, even pain. But um, after that, the body's going to settle down because it's done its job. But if you have chronic inflammation, right? Chronic is when there's long, low-term grades of, uh, of inflammation in the organs of the body. This is the problem. And so like arthritis, right? It's inflammation of the joints. Um, but long-term inflammation uh, can cause diabetes, cancer, kidney failure, arthritis, cardiac disease, autoimmune, allergies, and pancreatitis, just to name a few, right? Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. to make sure that, number one, we don't have chronic inflammation. And so we have to make sure that we're not doing the things that we talk about all the time, Dr. Jasek. Vaccinations are a common cause of severe immune system dysregulation. Now, this is coming from Dr. Blassingweight. So he says, look, you're injecting multiple diseases into the body all at once and in a natural way. So, um, you know, that's part of the problem. Pest prevention, pharmaceutical drugs, poor diets, environmental toxins, uh, electromagnetic radiation. We talked about that the other night. Um, Too much time indoors. So all of this is part of this inflammation uh, process. Now, the reason I said all this is because you sent me information from VDI, which is Mm. the lab, um, Mm -hmm. or uh, and and they were saying that before you give a vaccine to a dog, you need to test for inflammation. Now, I've never heard of that until you sent it to me. And what I mean by that is I've never heard of a vet of you walking in and they're saying, oh, listen, it's time for your vaccinations. But before we do that, let's make sure there's no inflammation in the body. So you said kudos to this company because they're actually pushing that to say, hey, we, they obviously know, Dr. Jasek, or they wouldn't come out with this test that dogs are walking in with chronic inflammation and that vaccines aren't helping. Right? right. Making, making it worse, making it worse. Yeah. And, you know, I think inflammation is, it is a natural process in the body and it has a purpose. You know, if you're healing a wound, like you said, you know, that you got a cut or even like after a surgery, you know, the body, the it, inflammatory process is what heals. It, what's, it's what brings in all the healing tools. And like you were saying, the white blood cells that engulf bacteria and deal with it. But then once it's done its job, that should go away. And it's the, it's the chronic inflammation that is the problem. And that's why if we, if we're seeing signs of chronic inflammation, we need to look at what are we doing that's inflaming the body. And then that gets back to diet. And as this doctor was saying, you know, over, over vaccinating, I agree with him, you know, 110% vaccines cause this dysregulation in the immune system that the body doesn't know what's friend or foe anymore. And you get these reactions that, that people call quote unquote allergies, but I, I don't, 
I don't think they're true allergies and that it's just one thing that the pet gets exposed to and that sets it off. I think the bigger issue is we have this underlying inflammation and the body is just so easily set off. And if you calm down that inflammation and you get the gut healed, the body won't, won't be as reactive. So in this information about basically what it says is improve vaccine efficacy, improve, I'm like, well, maybe we just, you know, shouldn't do them at all. But um, do you think that this is something that the veterinary community will actually take note of? This, This would actually cause them to say that they are aware that vaccines cause this inflammation in the body. Do you think that they're going to adhere to this research um, that says, well, basically what this says is this. If you have a dog who's inflamed and you give a vaccine, the efficacy of that vaccine is very limited. Basically, that's what it's saying. So now we're going to supercharge our vaccines, but um, do you think that they'll even use these tests to improve vaccine efficacy? I don't, I don't think they'll do it of their own accord, but I think it gives pet parents something else to use for, for pushback to go in there. Now, I, I'm not of the camp that I think we need to make vaccines more effective. I think we need to just not be doing them, but if that narrative gets or this narrative about, you know, well, we need to do this test to make sure these vaccines are going to work. Now that's a little backwards from the way I think. I think we shouldn't be doing them at all because it's going to make this inflammation worse. But anything that gets the veterinary profession to stop and think, and this is a test, you know, the, the conventional vets love tests and they love to put numbers to things. And like, well, if this inflammatory marker is high. Now, to me, that's a sign we definitely should not be giving a vaccine. Now, you could take the stance and this vaccine won't even be effective if we do it. Anything that stop, that give, gives, gives the profession reason to stop and pause, I think is a good thing. Um, and it gives people something they can go in and say, look, this test, you know, they could take that print out and say, look, you know, I want to, I want, Okay, I you know I understand you want my dog to have vaccines, but what if it's inflamed and I'd like to do this test first? Yeah, I mean, I see most conventional vets just totally poo-pooing it and saying, well, that's not necessary, and and blah blah blah. But it might, and you know, in BDI, you know, they're in the business of selling tests and all that too. But it'll give people something else to take into their vet and give them something to think about. So I think from that perspective, it's it's a very good thing. Yeah. So in this piece that you sent me, it says vaccination failures and low DOI, a duration of immunity is what that stands for, have been reported due to vaccination in patients with concurrent disease, infection, stress, poor diet, and immune suppressive medications. Well, that's half of the pet population right there. Yeah, t- totally. <laughs> totally. It goes it goes on to say more recently, focus has turned to immune system activation. When the immune system is activated, its ability to respond to new challenges, in parentheses, vaccines, is compromised. Now, so the 
here here's the thing. It says, okay, that if you give a vaccine to a dog that's inflamed, that's, you know, on it's stressed out, it's got a poor diet, it's on immunosuppressive medications, it has disease, it has infection. Basically, all this is saying is that your vaccine efficacy is going to be compromised. But my question is, all right, so what you're giving the vaccine for, this supposed protection, is going to be compromised. But what else is going to go on if you put this vaccine in a dog's body? It's, it's like a double compromise. I mean, to me, it's like, all right, look, we already know that a dog is more than likely going to be inflamed if they're doing all those these things that I just said. All right. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to put a vaccine with mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde, all these different things in the dog's body. And it's really not going to have much efficacy. We're just going to inflame the body more. I mean, that's what I get <laughs> out mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. And you know, some of those adjuvants like the aluminum, one of the reasons they put aluminum in vaccines is to cause inflammation because it's supposed to make the vaccine more effective. That's the theory. Um, it's really just poisoning the body, in my opinion. But it that's what that's why, you know, you wanna, you know, kind of activate that immune system right away and get the immune system coming in there to see what antigens you just in, injected so that it then builds antibodies. That's the whole, the whole reason for the vaccine is to inflame the body, activate the immune system, but it just ends up, I I love the word dysregulation, because I think that's exactly what's going on. The immune system just doesn't know, you know, how to, uh, how to act properly anymore. You know, another thing I think, good thing that could come out is that people started running these tests is they might Take like we can tell people, okay, dogs can be healthier if they eat raw, um, as as opposed to kibble and other commercial diets. But a lot of people don't believe that. They don't want to believe that because their vet's telling them something else and they read something else on Facebook. But when you can put a number to it and say, okay, look, your dog's inflammatory marker is high, and then you start feeding them raw and it comes down, that could help some people get their pets on a, on a healthier routine if they actually see, you know, a number. I mean, I don't think you need a number. I think you just need to look at the pet. But if that helps more people get their pets on a healthier routine, then I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. And the name of these tests, and your vets may not know about them, uh, but they're called CRP and H. PT. They're cheap. I mean, I don't know what yeah. the what the clinics are going to charge. Um, this particular piece that you sent me, I mean, it's showing a $29 cost. Now, whether that's the vet's cost to 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 run that test, I don't know. But but they're not thousands of dollars to run these tests. No. No. That most vets should run that for, you know, hundred dollars or less. Right. Right. So it says, um, Prior to immunization, an evaluation of the patient's APP will determine if the immune system has been activated. If activated, resolve source of inflammation prior, listen, prior to vaccination whenever possible to maximize chances of success. Mm-hmm. Which, which is great the way they say this because basically what they're saying is 
there's a possibility that these vaccines have no success rate at all. (laughs) Right. That's what they're saying. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't deny that. And that's the first time I've heard of that industry saying that of saying, well, maybe they don't really do what they're designed to do because of these other factors. And that's one of the reasons I I give VDI a lot of credit for coming out with this because this is very much against the the you know popular narrative in conventional veterinary medicine. So you know they could alienate a lot of veterinarians um, by saying something like that. So I don't know. I, I you know from a marketing standpoint, I wonder if they're you know picking up on that. You know more people are becoming aware of this and. They're kind of capitalizing on that trend. You know, I don't know, because it to me, it's a pretty gutsy thing to put out there because most conventional vets are, you know, not not going to jump on board with this and be like, well, it's another lab. I got to open another account or blah, 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 you know, which takes like no time at all. Um, so I, again, I, I think it's great that they are actually actually reaching out and um, and putting this out there because it's very much against the popular narrative. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you this question because I get uh, this statement a lot and I, I, I bet you do too. A a lot of pet parents. um, And and again, we, we cannot, I wish we, we had every single thing that a dog was putting in their body on their body, um, things that they were exposed to in the home, but we, we have, only the information that we get from the pet parents. However, when a dog is on a species appropriate diet, right? And they come back and they say, um, my dog is having an issue, whatever that is. Okay. And you ask, all right, this is just food, right? Meat, bones, organ, fat. That's it. So why would a dog be having an issue with real food? And the question that we always ask is, are you administering any of the pesticides, any of the things, right? And we ask about the vaccinations. The the statement that we get a lot is, my dog is three, let's just use that uh, number, and they only had puppy vaccinations. So this cannot have anything to do with vaccinations. I would like your opinion on that. I mean, obviously we don't have a controlled study that would say, okay, here are all the dogs over here that that were vaccinated as a puppy and never vaccinated again. But I think there's a there's a, a concept that that is, well, they only had one. And so that cannot be um affecting the dog's health. Yeah, no, I think I think because I, because I, you know, I work primarily, I work with chronic illness. I mean, I, I do, you know, help people with wellness. I do have people, you know, contact me and get a new puppy and I want to just get it off to a great start in life. And, you know, that's just awesome when people do that. But for the most part, I'm dealing with things further down the road and chronic illness. And some of them are just so hard to get better especially things like itchy skin dogs and you know uh, autoimmune disease you know just it's just so hard to to figure out why why is the body so dysregulated as we were saying and i do think that those early vaccines especially when they're given so young i mean sometimes five six weeks that 
they those those puppies they've only been out in the world a few weeks their immune system is just getting used to the environment and that's the time that the immune system is kind of getting you know programmed okay what's what's friend or foe what do i need to be reacting to and then you wallop them with these vaccines and it's usually it's vaccines and it's dewormers and it's all these other medications all at the same time sometimes they're spayed and neutered very young too which i think is a big contributing factor if you're going to spay or neuter a puppy at eight weeks you're you're definitely messing up their you know normal hormonal functions in the body but i think i do think puppies can be just permanently damaged from this i i don't I don't have any other explanation why we do all these things. We do the diet and we're, we're, you know, getting them on a really clean routine and we're doing herbs and we're doing all this stuff to support the body and we just can't get them better. And usually we can get improvement, but we can't get things to resolve. And I think there could be other factors like, you know, ongoing toxins, emotional stress. I think emotional toxicity is probably way under-recognized in, in our pets and, you know, people or pets pick up on people's energies and, you know, life happens, you know, we all get stressed, but we just need to remember that our pets pick up on that. And so keeping our pets on a, on a healthy routine for them, you know, psychologically, are they getting exercise? Are they doing breed appropriate things? You know, all breeds have natural instincts, you know, Didi, you have German shepherds, German shepherds need to work. To be happy. They they're not happy just laying around. You know, they need a job to do and they want something to do. And if you're not going to, you know, look after their emotional needs, then I think that can contribute to some, you know, chronic, chronic illness too. Just like people, you know, think, you know, you're a person, you know, and you're in a in a job you hate, eight hours a day, you got to do that. You're not a very happy person and you end up getting sick because of it. And I think the same things can happen in our pets. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. The German Shepherds and, you know, like the Great Pyrenees, most dogs, all dogs uh, need to get out and do something. And there are many people that unfortunately work all day and their dogs are kept in a kennel at home uh, for eight hours. And and that's very hard on the pets. Right. Mm -hmm. Very, very hard on the pets. So, you know, we, we're definitely um, advocates of knowing the breed of, you know, do, do you have a little three pound dog that, you know, you can walk down the street very easily and that's that's a long ways for them. Right. But you get these big breeds or these medium sized breeds. Um, they've got to do a lot of exercise every single day. And that's one thing that you know, Rick is amazing with is he go and he hikes Lazi every single day, every day, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we're getting ready to go on a trip. So that's going to, that's going to change a little bit. So we'll probably have to get the ball out and, uh, and exercise her, you know, really well as we're on the trip, but we're very cognizant of that. The, the other thing that I wanted to say um, on vaccinations you know, I I always look in the people side as well. And one great site for that is Children's Health Defense by Robert mm -hmm. Kennedy Jr. And back in 2018, uh, there was, and he's got lots of information on it, but he, but he says vaccinations can trigger a series of cascading events that disturbs the balance between 
protective immunity and destructive inflammation. Exactly what we're talking about in, in the dogs. And it, and it says, you know, that this can come on, you know, vaccinations can trigger a series of cascading events, um, which involves overexpression of the signaling molecules that regulate inflammation and activation of um, different things in the body that disturbs the balance between this protective immunity and destructive inflammation. And I think that's what we see. The balance is out of whack. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think if, if we would just recognize, you know, health and, and homeostasis in the body is its natural state. The body wants to be healthy. The body knows how to be healthy. So this whole idea that the body cannot protect itself from outside influences, such as diseases or, you know, viruses, if they exist, but that's a whole other conversation. But the whole idea that we just say, oh, the body has no ability to protect it. This is the kind of philosophy for giving all these vaccines. Well, the body cannot protect itself. So we have to jump in and protect them or all these you know, boogeyman viruses out there waiting to jump and attack your pet are going to get it. And I think we have to turn that whole idea on its head and say, no, the body can be healthy without them. And I think, I, I mean, I've thought this for years that pets overall would be way healthier without all these vaccines. Would maybe some puppies get sick, maybe die from parvo? Sure. But overall, if we eliminated all of these reactions, all of this chronic illness, I think overall pets would be way healthier. There's always going to be susceptible individuals that might get sick and perhaps even die from some of these things that we're quote unquote protecting them against. But I think the level of, of chronic debilitating illness would go way down. I, I would contend that if we corrected nutrition and stopped poisoning pets with all these pharmaceuticals, probably, you know, 80% of what I treat would just would go away. It just put me right out of business. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> because you would be tilling the land. Be tilling the land. And I know that pets are, are you know, a, a lot, a lot healthier. You know, that's another thing, you know, we were talking about Joel Salton earlier. That's one of his philosophies. If he has a sickly individual, he calls them. I mean, that might, and that means they, they, you know, go to slaughter. Um, and that might sound harsh, but he's looking at being able, part of him being able to keep up with this philosophy of not being dependent on drugs and dewormers is you're just going to have weaker individuals. And by eliminating them, you're keeping the whole stronger. And, you know, maybe that sounds, maybe that sounds harsh and you know, I, I don't think we would do that with our pet animals, but that's part of how he keeps his herds so, so strong and healthy is that if, you know, some individuals just, just can't make it and aren't thriving, then he removes them. They're a, they're a liability on, on the homestead. And, and if the same thing happened in our pet populations, naturally, if we quit, quit vaccinating and yeah, there'd be some animals that wouldn't make it, but they're, there's animals that don't make it anyway. You know, there's pets that die after vaccines, if they have reactions to vaccines or all these, you know, cancer cases. I, I just think overall, the pet population would be way, way healthier if we 
stop doing all this stuff. I mean, just imagine that. All you got to do is just feed them well, give them a healthy routine, keep them healthy, you know, mentally and emotionally. And you don't even have to go to the vet. I mean, how, how cool would that be? You know, I, I got other things I can do with my life. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, the other thing is getting into this habit or getting into this mindset that you have to do a yearly checkup for your pet. Do you, <laughs> do you really yeah. need to do a yearly checkup? And I understand because that is a profit model, right? If you do the yearly checkups, then, you know, you get your clientele to keep coming back in. But the majority of the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, these yearly checkups go with yearly uh, vaccinations, heartworm, flea, and tick. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a good uh, experiment on my hands when I move to Tennessee because there's going to be more bugs out there. And Colorado really don't have to worry about them. So I'm going to have to see, you know, uh, how this healthy routine works for keeping fleas and other, <laughs> other critters at, at bay. So I'll be doing my own experiment there. Yeah. But there are things that you can use. And uh, I mean, look, Joe Saladin lives out. Is it Salatin or Din? Salatin, T-I-N. T-I-N. Joe Salatin lives out in a buggy area. What does he do, you know, for that? He keeps his animals healthy. And he even says this. He says the healthiest individuals in his herd, you know, because there's always going to be a spectrum. But he says, like, he'll have some cattle. He said they're so healthy. He says they don't even have flies on their face. So all the others, you know, flies like to feed on the secretions around the eyes and stuff like that. And he said his healthiest individuals, the flies even leave them alone. You know, it's the animals that are, you know, not as healthy that the insects go after. So the healthier you keep your your animals, the less likely the insects are even going to want to go after them. So uh, I'm going to be working on this concept. And yes, there's natural things you can do, but I just, you know, in my mind wonder, well, if we just keep our, our pets and our animals just super healthy, you know, leading a natural life, eating what they're meant to eat, are the insects even going to be in a problem or there is no problem? Like, yeah, you're going to get a mosquito bite or, you know, you're going to get a fly bite or whatever, but they're not like, oh my God, we got to put this suit of armor on them to keep these bugs away from their bodies and deal with them. And that's what I suspect is going to be the case. I have one of my friends uh, and he's actually a raw feeder, but he's a hunter. He puts DDT on his body. Oh, geez. I'm like, are you insane? He's like, well... Yeah, he's like, well, this this stuff works, you know, when I'm out hunting. And I'm just like, yeah, but it's absorbing into your body. <laughs> so yeah. do you know, do you not know that you're poisoning yourself? You're out there getting all this good, healthy meat and you're poisoning yourself in the process. Right. I was just like, okay, all right. I'm gonna slap you upside your head. All right. So I want to ask you this other uh question about when a dog goes in, Dr. Jasek, and they do a blood test and the white blood cells are up. A lot of vets and pet parents rush to antibiotics right away. Mm-hmm. What would be the, the better process if we see, because we just talked about that 
the inflammation, there's inflammation in the body, the white blood cells are going to, you know, they're going to be up because they're going to be doing their job. But if we come in with antibiotics, aren't we disrupting that process right then and there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, antibiotics kill bacteria. That's what they do. And just because the white cell, white cell count is up, yes, it means the body's reacting to something. It's doing its job. Is there even a bacteria that's causing that? You know, this is, again, a sign of inflammation could be inflammation for some other reason. And, you know, I think I've said this before, unless you have really, really strong evidence that you have a bacterial infection that's like bad enough that maybe the body needs a little boost. Maybe it would benefit from a couple of days of antibiotics. And that's usually all that I would use antibiotics. It's just for a few days to help the body get on top of whatever's going on. But just because you see an elevated white blood cell count, it doesn't mean that there's a bacterial infection. There could be many, many reasons for that. It's not that we want to ignore that. We need to ask the question. So what's going on? Where is this inflammation coming from? Is it, you know, is there a bacterial infection or is it toxicity or, you know, what's going on? So we want to, you know, investigate that, see if we can figure that out. And most importantly, we support the body and we support normal immune system function with, you know, good nutrition. Maybe we add in some additional um, supplements like the algae or the mushrooms or these things that can help boost the immune system function. But if you just keep reaching for the antibiotics, you're you're really just adding more toxicity to the body. And And I see that all the time. It's just like, the default. I, I mean, I talked to a client last week and her dog was um, chewing at its tail. It was it's a boxer and it, it was just chewing at its tail. And I think there might be some nerve sensation there because uh, boxers do- have dog tails. You know, they cut the tail off and she said, I think there's just something kind of weird. And she went into the vet and the other thing they offered her was antibiotics. They, they tell her, they told her, they said, no, it doesn't look infected. Let's put on antibiotics. She's like, they don't even have any justification for the antibiotics. They don't know why the dog's chewing at its tail. But let's do antibiotics anyway. And I see that all the time. Yeah, I just, you know, I do, I do see that. And I'm thinking, all right, there has to be some sort of guidelines, right? Like, I remember when, um, I don't know, probably four or five years ago now, maybe five years ago, that there was, um, Asta got something, something was going on with Asta and she had 105 degrees temperature. And I, um, you know, we did some blood tests. Yeah, it showed that the white blood cells were up doing its job. The traditional vets wanted to put her on these super, you know, high powered antibiotics. They wanted her to come in and to, you know, go into the emergency room and be uh, subjected to whatever and to be put on fluids. Well, we can do the fluids at home. We didn't do any of the antibiotics. We put her on, you know, uh, subcutaneous fluids, which we administered ourselves. And we allowed her, we watched her. We made sure that the temperature wasn't going up any higher than 105. And honestly, she, she snapped out of it, Dr. Jasek, in, in two mm-hmm. days. Right. And we didn't subject her to any of that other stuff. 
And today she's 14. Yes, she's got some, you know, hip problems that we've been working on primarily due to the way that they're bred. They're very angled in the back. Um, she's always walked with the the hock knee, you know, where they sort of twist their their legs to walk. And she tore an ACL early, early on. And we did the uh, natural, uh, just let the scar tissue heal over. So today, you know, at almost 14 and a half, she is, you know, she's got some, some issues with those legs, but otherwise she's a very healthy dog. And I just feel like, like you're talking about with the whole thing that Salatin's doing and the way that the body works, if you interrupt that process, you make a weaker animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yep, absolutely. And and another thing I, I that I hear that I think maybe people need to rethink is so a scenario like that, like say with Asta. So say you did go in and you did all those antibiotics and she's better in a few days. And then people will say, well, the antibiotics, she needed those antibiotics. The antibiotics made her better. Well, did they? I mean, she could better because of the antibiotics or did she get better in spite of the antibiotics? You didn't do the antibiotics and she got better anyway. So how many times would our pets get better just on their own without the antibiotics? I think this is really true with diarrhea. Yeah, dogs get diarrhea all the time. Dogs eat things. I mean, they shouldn't have chronic diarrhea, but an occasional diarrhea you know, it's, it's going to happen. Well, what's the, the knee jerk reaction, you know, pets go into the vet and they're put on metronidazole and like, but it made my dog better. Well, did it? Because most diarrheas, they're going to go away in 48 hours anyway, do like a bone broth fast, maybe a little slippery elm, you know, dog just got into something. And as long as they're acting okay, and, you know, still at least drinking, you know, they're staying hydrated, you can, you can just give them a a day or two and see if they, if they get over it. And by allowing them to get over it naturally, you're building strength in the body. When you keep hitting them with the drugs, you know, it's like you just said, we just, we're just making them weaker and weaker. And what I see, you know, I see patients sometimes, have you know, chronic gut stuff, and then they've been on multiple courses. I mean, like throughout their whole, whole life, you know, multiple courses of metronidazole. And then I hear, yeah, and it doesn't work anymore. Like, well, no surprise there because we've completely screwed up the microbiome now and the body has very little ability to get itself balanced out because we've, we've disrupted all that with the drugs. So be careful about your interpretation of what is making your pet better because most often they, they'll get better on their own. Well, and I wanted to ask you this question too. When you go from a kibble diet, all right, so we, we have a dog that's that's clearly got issues. Chronic diarrhea for a year from the time it was born. Um, very skinny, no matter how much food, kibble food they're eating. Now they go and they get on the raw diet, on the, on the raw diet for two days. Then the dog seems lethargic. Now, the, the, you know, I, I don't... I don't know. I don't, I don't see the dog. So sometimes what people say is lethargic is a dog just responding to a detox. Um, but this pet parent did take the dog in. Now they've got two dogs. Okay. So the older dog, the one that has had seizures and is on phenobarbital, um, doesn't have any problems. He loves a raw diet. He's doing fine. But 
they rushed this dog in because they said, all right, well, he's, you know, not eating and he's lethargic. Now he's not vomiting. There's not, you know, projectile um, diarrhea coming out the back end. The vet decides that they're going to do blood work and the white blood cells are elevated and he has 104. Immediately they put on antibiotics and the next day he's fine. Now, I personally, as a pet parent, probably would have just allowed him to go through that process and see if he got better anyway. Because what we do know is that if you have a lot of yeast in the body, and certainly a dog that's on kibble is going to have a lot of yeast in the body. And when that yeast starts dying off, it it releases toxins. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that was the case, but I just wanted to see what you thought you know, what could there be uh, a lot of toxin die off and would that be cause for elevated white blood cells? Would there be something else? Um, why would a dog feel like that, you know, just for 24 hours and then snap out of it? I mean, what is your assessment of that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think eliminating toxins could be definitely a big part of it. I think, I think part of what happens when we change the diet is you, you stop poisoning them with, with the diet that they're on. And then you're giving them the good nutrition that allows their body to properly detoxify. And so now the body like pushes that process. Like it can finally do it. It finally has the right nutrition and the, the tools, so to speak, to do that. And fever is is a way of accelerating that process. Fever is not bad. Fever is the body's way of helping to to push this um, detoxification process because it the um, the a lot of the enzymatic processes in the body get revved up when the temperature goes up. You get the temperature up, and even though you you know you might feel lethargic, it's like fever is a way of saying okay, you just need to go rest and sleep. Your body's got some work to do here. And you just go, you need to go, you know, put your butt in bed and rest and drink lots of fluids and let the body clean stuff up. And that's the way I see fever. We see, you know, that there's this, you know, thought that fever is is a bad thing. And it's really not. It's part of how the body heals and cleanses. And, you know, um, Dr. Cowan talks about this, how there's, you know, you have, you know, tissues in the body, but then there's, there's a lot of space in the body. That's just sort of like a gel in in between things in the, in the body. And when you heat that, it's like jello, he refers to it as jello. And when you heat that, it, it, with a fever, it liquefies a bit and it allows all the toxins to drain out of that. Well, then what do the white blood cells do? They're coming in to clean all this stuff out. So detoxing, you know, running a fever and, I, and a high white count um, during a detoxification, I think makes perfect sense. And it could also, you know, in this particular case, been something just completely unrelated to the food too. You know, it was just like you said with Asta, sometimes they'll run a fever, but it's the body dealing with stuff. Maybe they were exposed to a parasite or something in the body's dealing with it. And part of the way the body deals with that is running the fever. But this panic that 
oh my gosh, you know, we've got to, you know, run the pet in and get it on some drugs, get on some antibiotics because it's, because it's running a fever. Um, Yeah, I I think that in probably in most cases just ends up doing more harm than good. What is the parameter that you would say, all right, when your dog is doing this for this amount of time, then yes, we probably need to see him at the vet's office. Well, hydration. I mean, hydration is super important. No matter what's going on, they need to stay hydrated. So they aren't drinking. They have to, they have to stay hydrated. The body won't heal if it's not hydrated. I've seen this so many times with, you know, dogs that are like, you know, vomiting diarrhea and they're just not getting better, just not getting better. And when I, when I had my clinic and I had the ability to hospitalize them, I, I just put them in for half a day, four or five hours, run some IVs, get them hydrated. They go home, never look back. They just can't heal if they're dehydrated. So hydration is super important. So if a pet's not drinking, now they can go, you know, half a day, maybe 12 hours without drinking, but they go longer than 12 hours and they're not taking in fluid, then that's a problem. Now you can get subcutaneous fluids like you did do it at home underneath the skin. That's perfectly fine. But if they're not taking in fluids orally, that's a problem. I would say fever over 105. Um, you should either take them in or be doing something to bring that fever down. Um, like, you know, cooling their body, moistening their body, like on their belly and, you know, the hairless area is trying to bring that fever down a little bit. Um, profuse bloody diarrhea, like, I don't mean just a loose stool. I mean, they're just shooting blood out their back end. I mean, that can happen. They can actually lose a substantial amount of blood that way or protracted vomiting. And I mean, like, so dogs that have an intestinal blockage, um, they will vomit like multiple times an hour. Like they almost just can't stop vomiting. And they're so painful and miserable. Those dogs need to go in because that's probably surgical. Or if they're like bloated, like a um, GDV, like a, a gastric dilatation, volvulus, where the stomach flips, you know, things like that are are really serious. So those would be, I think, some things where, yeah, they need to go in and get checked because those are, you know, true emergencies, but those are really the exception, not the rule. Most dogs, you can just give them a day and, you know, let their, let their body kind of figure it out and they'll be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. But if you interrupt that process, let's say that it's just uh, toxins, the white blood cells are up because they're coming in to eat um, the stuff that they need to eat. And then you administer antibiotics. We're we're again, you guys, you're you're interrupting that process. So we need to be very aware of what's happening, the time frame. Um, and really, I think the problem is, is that most of us don't know how the body really works. We don't understand what what white blood cells do. We don't understand what red blood cells do. We don't understand how to read any kind of test. So if you don't understand that, Dr. JC, you can be told anything. Right. And, and another thing that is really important to avoid or use very judiciously are the NSAIDs, which are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. These are your, your Rimadils, the generic is Carprofen or Meloxicam, Galaprant, any of those. Those are anti-inflammatories. They shut down the inflammation 
inflammatory process and they're used for pain. So I see a lot of dogs that go in this sort of scenario with, you know, elevated white count, um, elevated fever, elevated temperature, and they're put on not just antibiotics, but they're put on an insight. Well, cause they're inflamed and maybe they're a little painful. So you're further suppressing this natural process. I would never use that. I see NSAIDs used all the time for post-surgical pain. Now, if a pet has surgery, sure, we probably want to give them something for pain. But if you use those drugs so that inflammatory process is part of the healing, that's how the body heals and the incision. It brings in all the white blood cells and, and helps everything heal. If you give an NSAID after surgery, you are, you're shutting down part of that natural healing process. So, I mean, I would use pain meds, but I would not use medications in that drug class. I would use something more like tramadol. That's more of like an, an opioid. Or if it's real severe, you know, give them morphine for a couple of days. You know, you do a joint surgery or something painful. Like you don't want the pets to suffer. But in about 72 hours, they're usually starting to bounce back and feel better. But if you use those NSAIDs, it just slows the healing process. So you have to be really careful. Now for Chronic arthritic pain, like Didi or saying Asta, you know, a mm -hmm. dog like Asta, she's 14. We know she's got arthritis pain. She's having a bad day. Yeah, give her the carprofen because we don't want her uncomfortable, but it's it's appropriate. It's appropriate there because we're we're improving her quality of life, but her arthritis isn't gonna go away. And you you, you know, if you use it judiciously, you don't give it like all the time, just when she's having like a really bad day. That's an appropriate use for a medication like that. So I'm not saying don't ever use them, but in acute situations, I think, I really think we just, we got to give the body some time and support and just allow it to do its job. Like I said, the body, the body knows what to do. The body knows how to be healthy and, and modern medicine has changed that narrative. Why? Because they sell drugs. They, they sell all this stuff. There's so much money being made selling all of these medications. And if we just said, well, the body knows how to be healthy. How about if we just let the body be healthy? Well, you know, there might be some billion out, billionaires out there that become millionaires or something. And we couldn't have that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, okay. Last question. And then I'll let you go. Um, this particular person wants to know, what do you feed an older dog in early renal failure? Um, how my, my nutritional recommendations wouldn't, wouldn't change. I'd, I'd still do raw. So now depending on the blood work might add in some other things to support the kidneys. There's some herbs or some great Chinese herbal blends that I've used that can really help stabilize, um, the kidney value, stabilize kidney function. But I'd, I'd also say I I've seen so many pets that where people come to me and say, oh, my dog's in kidney failure, my cat's in kidney failure. And I look at the values and like, you know, maybe they're a point or two out of the normal range. And I said, this is not kidney failure. And I'd ask how the pet's doing, you know, if they're symptomatic, you know, they're drinking a ton, peeing more, you know, that sort of thing. Then, then, okay, those are more of a sign that the kidneys are failing. I see so many pets though, quote unquote, diagnosed with kidney failure they're not kidney failure. Like these values are maybe up just a little bit, which sometimes on a raw diet, they will go up just a little bit. But if they're stable, um, I don't consider that kidney. Those kidneys are not failing. Now, again, we can 
add in some things um, for support. Real simple thing is, is dandelion. Dandelion, the dandelion leaves are very supportive of kidney function. The roots very supportive of liver function. So you give that dandelion plant and um, you're really doing a lot to help support uh, kidney and liver function. But I don't change the diet. I, I actually, at any stage of kidney issues, you know, regardless of what's going on, if that dog will still eat a raw diet, I would still feed him a raw diet. Make sure it's balanced. Um, you know, we've talked about this. A raw diet is not too high in protein. It's a species appropriate protein and it's exactly what they need. But we can add in other things to help support uh, kidney function, you know. Same with elevated liver enzymes. I don't change the diet, but I'll do some things to help support uh, support liver function. And do you think that these uh, kidney levels and the the test can be affected if a pet is getting flea and tick, heartworm, and vaccines? Oh, absolutely. I mean, ki- kidneys the kidneys and the liver are are the you know detoxifying organs. They're you know elimination organs. The liver detoxifies and eliminates stuff through the gut and the kidneys eliminate it in, in the urine. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the, we don't see this so much anymore because I think people become aware of like antifreeze is poisonous. And we, we used to see more of it, especially when I worked in more rural areas, you know, you got the tractor sitting on the barn leaking antifreeze and, and, and it would be, um, it's, it's kind of sweet tasting. It's got a glycol um, base. I've never tasted it, but that's what I understand. Right. And pets would go drink it and then go into kidney fat. And sometimes you'd see their values just like off the charts. And if you can get them soon enough and get them on fluids, now it can't be fatal, but if you can get them soon enough, you can see those values come down. So it's, I mean, you know, they need some pretty intensive treatment, but absolutely you're going to see those values go up as a, as a consequence of toxicity including things like flea and tick, because those are poisons. They're neurotoxins. Yeah. So, you know, we get that question. People will say, well, what do, what do I feed, you know, my dog who's got renal failure or kidney disease? And again, you know, it'd be great if you get that diagnosis, if you could get a consult with Dr. Jasek and have her review your records, because maybe you're going to go down a rabbit hole that you don't need to go down, or you're going to go down a path that isn't going to be in the best interest of your dog because the diagnosis isn't necessarily 100% correct. Let's just say it that way, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times I see where these values are up for whatever reason, all these various reasons that we've talked about. And the um, recommendation is to put them on a heels, you know, renal, whatever type food. Now, again, that doesn't make any sense to us because that is not a bioavailable food and it does have synthetics and all of that type of stuff in it. So why would you put a dog who supposedly has, you know, a problem with detoxifying the body on a toxic food? I Makes no right. sense to me, no but that, that's the worst thing to do is to use one of those prescription diets. Really, truly the worst thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it doesn't matter where Dr. Jasek is moving. I, I, for one, am very sad 
but uh, <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're not going to still um, be doing the podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing some Zoom stuff. We'll be doing some workshops, uh, but we got to let her get to Tennessee, get all moved in. And I think that that we're all going to benefit from this move because, as you just stated, you're going to be practicing even more of what you preach and you're going to have the uh, the proof is going to be in the pudding, as they say. You're going to be able to tell <laughs> people in other parts of the country that have bugs, that have fleas, that right. have ticks, what to do. Right. I can guarantee you I'm not using those pesticides. You're not using pets. no DDT. We'll not be using DDT. Nope. Nope. There's, I mean, you know, there's lots of animals that live in the wild that don't get like brevecto and stuff. To, you know, like, what do the deer do? You know, like, I mean, they're out there in the woods where all the fleas and ticks are, you know? And, and I mean, I think it's this natural culling, the ones that like can't deal with the bugs. They just, no, they don't survive the, the, you know, mountain lions or whatever gets them, or they just pass away and the vultures eat them. You know, it's, it's survival of the fittest. And as humans, we like to meddle in things and manipulate things. And, you know, rather than just letting nature take its course, but you know, I think, I think mother nature has got it down. I think mother nature knows, knows how to fix things and keep things harmonious. It's, it's, it's humans that are really good at screwing stuff up. Yes, it's because we don't have courage. We've got to have courage, okay? You've got to have courage to make mistakes and to take a look at what you're doing and saying, well, maybe, you know, I need to step out of this mindset, this box, and try something different. And I think that our fear that we're going to put our dogs in jeopardy um, clouds our judgment. And yet what we see is the normal things are putting our dogs in jeopardy. There is no way that we have over a 50%, you know, cancer rate. And as you see, going up in pets earlier and earlier, and there's not something going on, guys. It doesn't just come down the DNA line. I mean, yes, that has something to do with it, obviously, how, you know, strong we are. But what in the world are we doing? There's something that we are doing and we have to wake up, stand up and snap out of it and go a different way, period, period. Right. That's right. Move to Tennessee. That's right. I may be right behind <laughs> you. I don't know. All right, everybody, get over to Dr. Jacek's site. Remember, uh, Dr. Jacek, you're going to be on pause for what are the dates that uh, we want to tell people if you're trying to reach Dr. Jacek, she's going to be in this move but you'll be back and running. What are the dates? Yeah, pr primarily like May, like 5th through 10th is probably going to be the biggest part of it. And then, you know, depending on when our stuff gets delivered, you know, the movers just give you a window. They don't tell you exactly when they're going to be there. So to kind of be prepared to, you know, kind of drop what we're doing and help unpack the moving truck um, sometime that week, but those are going to be the days we're going to be in transit and, you know, all of our stuff's going to be packed up. Our computers are going to be packed up. we got to get that all, you know, set up and ready to go and then explore our new area too. No oh, goodness. We're going to go and drive around and see what's, see what's out there. So that, that's going to be the, the, the crux of it. So, you know, if you need to order things, 
they're actually shutting off orders. I think that Wednesday before Wednesday, May 3rd at noon, if you don't have any orders in by then, they won't go out until the following week sometime. Also remember, Dr. Jasek is not an emergency clinic. Okay. The, the, so if your dog needs to go see a vet, uh, go see a vet, right? Um, you right. want to, Dr. Jasek works with, you know, chronic disease and helping you uh, get your pet on a species appropriate diet and the right herbs and things to keep it healthy. But if you have an emergency, uh, you need to have a vet that you can go see. Okay. So understand that. Right. That's that's one thing that that you know you can't just email her and get get a response right away. So, um but get over to ahavet.com, get yourself signed up with Dr. Jasek and get, you know, in the queue there to start working with her on getting your dogs on a species appropriate diet. You can come to rawdogfoodandcompany.com. Yes, we ship anywhere that UPS goes. Uh, in the United States, and uh, we'll help you get on a species-appropriate diet. As Dr. Jasek says, there is not a disease that we would not suggest your dog be on a species-appropriate bioavailable diet. We don't understand um, the concept of putting more toxic food in an already toxic body. Doesn't make I mean, sense to us. Why would you have a, a pet that's that's sick and not feed it the best diet possible. Like that doesn't make any sense. Why do we change it to a diet that's, you know, poor nutrition and toxic when they're already sick? Like that doesn't make any sense. We keep them, keep them on the species appropriate raw diet and that's the best thing for them. And we help support them in, in other ways. But as long as the pet will eat it and it, I've never not recommended raw feeding. Yeah. Give them some time to get over the salt, the garlic, all of the taste enhancers in that other food. Okay. Warm it up a little bit. It's fine. Warm it up a little bit. Um, give them a chance to uh, get their body back in decent shape. You know, some of these dogs, you know, it takes a little longer. If you've been on a kibble diet for nine years and you've only been on the raw for, you know, three weeks, uh, give it a chance. <laughs> right? yeah. So we've got to get the toxins out of the body. Yeah. And it takes time. You know, the body is used to digesting, you know, kibble. It takes a little time. It's a big transition. It's actually a whole like metabolic shift. You know, it takes time for the body to get used to digesting something differently. It's just if, if you ate something you, you didn't usually eat, your body might be like, oh, what's that? Like, you know, that's a little different. You know, maybe you get a little diarrhea. It's not that it's bad for you, but your body just isn't used to digesting it. And the same thing happens with the pets. And so that's where some, you know, maybe some digestive enzymes or additional probiotics or things like that to just help support that digestive process sometimes can help that go a little easier. Absolutely. So get over to ahavet.com and get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Dr. Jasek, have a safe trip out to Tennessee and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye, y'all. See you soon. Oh, snap. Snap. 
Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.